Uh, so uh, we've been in a series that we're calling Getting Ready for the End of the World. And uh, in this series, just as a reminder, um, we're taking uh, many different looks at what's going on in the end times. Like what are the specifics of it and what does it all mean in some sense? Um, and while we're going to dive into some of that, what we really wanted to do in this series is take a look at end times with the perspective of today. Uh, all of these um, end times books of the Bible and passages in scripture, well, well, what does it mean for us today, here and now? Um, what does it mean for our ordinary lives? In other words, what do we do while we wait? And so throughout this series so far, we've been making a list of just that, the things that we do while we wait. And that list should be on the screen right now. And that's the list so far, and we're adding to it. This morning, we're going to add another one to the screen. Uh, we live with the ability to overcome any circumstance. The ability to overcome any circumstance. And that, may, that might sound strange, um, considering that nearly every end times related future event in Scripture seems to depict, you know, difficulty and harm and badness generally all the way around. But in fact, in all of those passages, um, it's truly about overcoming in the midst of those difficulties. And so this morning we're going to dive into overcoming for the end of the world. Um, our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 19 through 39. And our scripture reading, our scripture reader this morning is Michael Danielson. So Michael, you can head on up when you're ready. And uh, what we do here is we stand if you're able and we face the center of the room where scripture is read. And we do so because the scriptures are the story of the gospel and we give it our highest authority and uh, and yeah, authority. So go ahead, Michael, when you're ready. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison 
and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Thank you, Michael. You may be seated. So in the book of Acts, which is not what we just heard, we just read from Hebrew, Hebrews. In the book of Acts, there is the story of uh, a man named Stephen. And Stephen was one of the first Hellenized Jews, or, or Greek Jews, if you want to think about it that way, to become a leader in the church, the, the early church. And Stephen was a, a powerful, powerful leader. And through his leadership, um, many came to know and believe and follow Jesus. He was, in some sense, he was like the A-team of, you know, the early church. He was, he was one of the best. And scripture says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And in the peak of uh, Stephen's ministry, um, when he was really most effective, um, there was Jews of the day who were not terribly happy with this early or these new Christians, these Christ followers around, and they had him, uh, Stephen, taken to the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin is this Jewish authority, and they had kind of power over people who called themselves Jews. And, and so Stephen appears in front of the Sanhedrin in some kind of trial of sorts. And so during this trial, Stephen is allowed to speak and plead his case. And he pleads it in, in a really compelling way and also a uh, confrontative way as well. Let me just read just the last chunk of his speech. You should read the whole thing someday, but listen to this from Acts 7. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given to the angels but have not obeyed it. Now, I think there's a learning here, and that is when you're speaking to people that could end your life, maybe don't use those words. I don't know. It was just... And honestly, unfortunately, Stephen's speech, it didn't help him. It didn't get him too far. The story goes on. Listen to this. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Stephen would never wake again. All the talent, all the potential, all the influence that Stephen had in an instant was gone. Quite literally, 
Stephen lost. Stephen lost. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us the fate of the apostles, um, of, of Peter and Paul. Um, you know, we just don't know what happened to them kind of after the pages of the Bible end. Did they, did they succeed in their ministry? Did they fail at ministry? I don't think they did. Did they retire in Arizona? We don't know. They could have retired. That could have been where Peter and Paul headed. We never hear. Um, we do know, however, that Peter and Paul were incredibly important to the early church. They were hugely instrumental in the early church moving on and ahead. I mean, listen to what Jesus says to Peter. Um, he says this to no one else. Listen to this in the book of Matthew. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell, tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom uh, of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know, like I said, Jesus doesn't say this to any disciples in the Bible. In fact, I'm fairly certain Jesus doesn't say this to anyone except for Peter ever. It's very strong words. Peter was a really big deal to Jesus in Jesus' future ministry plans. He was incredibly strategic. And then we have the Apostle Paul who comes in a little bit later in the book of Acts. And Paul has his own experience with Jesus. And listen to just a short snippet of, of his encounter with Jesus in the book of Acts. This is what it says. As he neared Damascus on his road, or on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And Paul becomes this really important figure. He would be the apostle to the Gentiles, which would be the single biggest shift the church probably has ever taken in history. And what happened to Paul and Peter? Do we know? Scripture doesn't say. It doesn't say. History does. History gives us some ideas. We can't say they're perfectly authoritative, but they're interesting in the least. And most of the uh, historians at the time say that both of them made their way to the city of Rome separately at different times. And history says that both of them met an early death in Rome. Peter was crucified upside down until he died. And then Paul was beheaded. He got privileged because he was a Roman citizen, so they just cut his head off. How nice. Very nice. Both Peter and Paul, with all of their calling and potential and influence, died early deaths. Imagine the impact they could have had if they didn't die an early death. I don't know. Peter and Paul lost. They lost. You know, in this series, we've been talking about the end of the world, and the book most of us turn to when we think of the end of the world in the Bible is Revelation, right? And Revelation was written by a guy named John. And John, it was probably the Apostle John. The Apostle John is the one that wrote the gospel according to John, and then the three letters of John. And though we don't know how John died, we do know where the Bible leaves him. It's really interesting where the Bible leaves him. In the letter of Revelation, John says that he was on the island of Patmos, kind of off the beaten path on this island. And John was on Patmos probably because, uh, well, for only two reasons he could possibly be there. One, uh, he was forced into exile, probably by Roman authorities. He would have been sent there to get him out of the way, to get his influence away from his people and to sit there alone, perhaps as some kind of hermit or something for the rest of his days. 
The other option is he was forced there because he had to be. Because if he wouldn't have left, he would have been killed. And so maybe he fled for his safety. But regardless, the Apostle John, who was incredibly uh, influential in the early church, lived there probably for the rest of his life. He probably died there alone on the island of Patmos, removed from his ministry, removed from his influence that he could have had on people. You know, the Apostle John lost, lost. That's not how you end. You know, followers of Jesus in the Bible and beyond have a track record of losing like this. You know, there's this incredible story in the third century of two women, uh, just a couple hundred years after Jesus died. And the women, the two women's names were Perpetua and Felicity, and they have losing stories too. So the story goes, Perpetua and Felicity, they meet in a, a Roman prison. Felicity was a pregnant slave who came to follow Jesus. And because she placed her faith and trust in Jesus, she was thrown into prison. Perpetua was this free woman who had just had a baby. She had a newborn and she was still nursing. And she came to follow Jesus. The Roman authorities heard about it and they threw her into prison too. And they were both in prison there because they refused to deny Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's all they had to do and they would have had their freedom. In fact, there's a story of Perpetua sitting there in a prison cell and her dad coming and pleading with her, please deny Jesus so you can get out of this. And she said, I just can't do it. And so Felicity, who is pregnant, has her baby, hands it off to somebody else. Um, And then Perpetua nurses her baby and hands it off to someone else. And both of them together, they head into the Roman Colosseum and they're tied to a stake. And then these animals are released upon them to hurt them to kill them. And eventually, they die. A terrible, painful, early way to die. Perpetua and Felicity, they lost. They lost. That's not a win. And these stories of Christians losing, it's, it didn't end a thousand years ago. These stories happen all the time. These stories happen today. You know, a couple years ago, I taught a class on Islam, and the material we were using was um, done by a guy named Nabil Qureshi. He, was written a, he has written a couple of books and such. You might know this guy. And Nabil has a great story. He's this Muslim man growing up in America, and he has these friends that he kind of latches onto that are Christians, and they talk faith a lot, and they talk, you know, the Christian faith and Jesus, and he talks his faith as well. And eventually, Nabil came to the conclusion that he really liked this Jesus figure. And eventually he came to the conclusion that he believed in this Jesus figure. And then he gave his life to Jesus. It's his great conversion story. But the conversion had a tremendous cost. Nabil was rejected by nearly all of his Muslim community when he converted to Christianity. And then his family alone had a hard time even figuring out how to be around him. Uh, The relationship was never restored. And Nabil was a smart, smart guy. And he built a ministry up of ministering to Muslim folks and showing them Jesus. And it was so effective. And then then ministering to Christians and saying, this is how you talk to Muslims. This is how you show them Jesus. And it was great. And life was good. And he was headed up into the right trajectory. And then at only the age of 33, suddenly he uh, he had a diagnosis. Advanced stage cancer of the stomach at 33 years old. He was married. He had a young daughter. And he shared the news and how he had faith in the doctors. It was grim, but he had faith in the doctors. But he ultimately had his faith in God who could do anything. God is the great physician, right? And then a year later, 
Nabil died. He was gone, leaving his family behind, but perhaps even more, leaving his ministry behind. His dynamic ministry that was really making an impact, gone in a moment. Nabil, well, Nabil lost. He lost. That's not a win. You don't die at 33 and leave your family and kid and ministry behind. It's, it's a loss. Look, sometimes we simply lose in life. We lose. And there's nothing we can do about it most of the time. Sometimes we just lose. You know, in this room, there are lots of stories I can guarantee about losing. A lot. You know, there are stories in this room of folks that have suffered horrible, bitter divorces and that marriage was gone and they lost. There are stories of some of us in this room that are right on the edge today of losing their marriage. You know, there's others of us in this room who have kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews and something terrible happened to those kids for no reason. It wasn't their fault. Something happened. And the kids had to endure this new reality. They lost something in the process. And there's some parents in this room, perhaps, that are still struggling to discern, well, how do, how do I help my kid? I don't know. It's a loss. You know, in this room, there's stories of unexpected deaths, right? Many of us have been touched by those, of a spouse, of our kids, of our siblings, of our close friends, where they suddenly are just gone. It's a loss. And we lose in different ways too, right? Some of us in this room, we have jobs and we work really, really hard at those jobs and we pride ourselves on working hard and having a good moral framework and values and strong character. And we are good people doing a good job and yet those, those promotion periods come and we always get passed up. It's a loss. In some sense, losing in life is, I don't know, it's, it's normal. It's normal to lose. And it sometimes, you know, causes us to ask big questions. Why wouldn't God do something about this loss before it happens? You know, where was God in the middle of it? Is God even there at all in the middle of it? Losing in life is terribly difficult to understand. And the question we all have if we've lost something is, well, what do we do when we lose? What do we do when we lose? How do we respond when we are in a losing scenario? You know, you see, nearly all the end time scripture passages in the Bible are really concerned with asking that question. You know, the first readers of the book of Revelation, they had already lost. They had lost a lot and they were going to continue to lose some more and they really weren't sure what to do about it. And then really the whole point of the book of Revelation of John writing from Patmos is to say, hey guys, remember, Jesus is coming back. You're going to be okay. He will return soon enough. You can do it. And admonish them, keep going. It's going to be okay. Don't quit. Christ will cause you to overcome. You can overcome. But the question is, how? How do we overcome when we lose so badly sometimes? How? You know, the word overcome uh, is an interesting word to me. Um, I did my quick search on dictionary.com to figure out what the word meant. Um, and here, here's, here's what dictionary.com gave me. 
To overcome is to get the better of in a struggle or conflict, um, to conquer, to defeat. Uh, Overcoming is somehow gaining the upper hand and then heading off toward victory because you now have the upper hand. Overcoming is the process of going from adversity to victory. That's how we get to victory. We overcome. But you see, in the Bible, overcoming doesn't necessarily look just like that. Yes, there are places in Scripture where overcoming in that sense does happen. In the Old Testament, there's lots of stories of the battles of the people of God, and they're losing these battles. And then, and then the leader of the people of God will stand up and, and put his faith in God or, or ask for a miracle or something, and then God will act. And then suddenly the people of God will, will win the war, win the battle, and they will celebrate. But honestly, it's not always that way in Scripture, especially the New Testament, especially in end times passages. You know, in a gospel sense, in those passages, to overcome actually means to stay faithful despite losing. To stay faithful despite losing. We can squarely lose in every sense of the term, yet still overcome. Now, our really long scripture reading this morning from Hebrews 10 is really a practical guide to overcoming. That's what it is. How do we overcome when we're losing? Read Hebrews 10, to stay faithful despite losing. And in fact, the stories of Stephen and Peter and John and Perpetua and Felicity and Nabil are all cases of doing what Hebrews said. Overcoming is staying faithful despite losing. Now, it's also, it's laid out really well to the point where we can have kind of a practical guide here this morning on overcoming. Hebrews 10 is a practical guide. We're actually going to call it a practical guide to overcoming. Are you excited? I am, clearly. So there's four steps in Hebrews 10 in your practical guide to overcoming that you must follow to overcome. Are you ready? Step one. Remember what Jesus has already done. Remember what Jesus has already done. Listen to the first part of our Hebrews passage again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. It's that last line that I think we got to read just one more time. Listen to this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. If we want to overcome the end of the world, we need to keep that hope in front of our minds. And what is that hope? Our hope is that Christ died, Christ was risen, and Christ is going to come again. That's the hope. You see, if you think about it, listen to this. Jesus lost too, right? He went to a cross, something like that, and he died at that cross, a horrible, painful death. And Jesus, uh, kind of his movement, his his group, his Talmudim in that moment, that movement all just kind of fell apart and died as soon as he died at the cross. And in that sense, Jesus lost. He lost right there. Yet, that's not the end of the story. Jesus died, but then miraculously, just days later, Jesus rises again. And you see, the resurrection of Jesus, 
Well, that's our hope. We can lose in every sense of the term. We can lose everything. We can lose everything it means to be us, everything we hold dear in our lives, yet there's Jesus' resurrection. And, and Jesus promises us, it's not a one-time thing. In the future, I'm gonna come back and then there's going to be another one. It's gonna be your resurrection too. And when we remember this, that Jesus' resurrection is one day going to be our resurrection, well, we can overcome anything, can't we? We can overcome anything. So step one, remember what Jesus has already done. Step two, you ready for this one? Stick together. Stick together. Listen to Hebrews. It goes on. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we want to overcome to the end of the world, we have to stick together. And that means that all of us being in this room on a morning like this matters a lot. You know, we come to this room for a couple reasons. We come and we come to worship, right? We come to worship our, our Lord and Savior. We come to worship the triune God. That's a good thing. And we come and we come to crack open a Bible and read the words of Scripture and let God convict us and teach us as we read through Scripture. That's a really good thing. But something else is going on in this room this morning. This morning, God is making us family. That's what he's doing. Making us family. You know what families do? Yeah, we worship together. We open God's word together. But we support each other. We support each other when we lose. We cheer each other on and say, you can do it. It's going to be okay. Keep going. We admonish each other to remember that Jesus is coming back. Remember, you can do this. See, if we want to overcome the end of the world... We can't do it without our family. And that's all of us in this room together, supporting each other, holding each other accountable, pushing each other onward, even in the midst of loss. Now, I wanna move on to step three of our guide here of overcoming the end of the world. Let God be the judge. Let God be the judge. Listen to the Hebrews passage again. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. Listen to that. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, when we lose, we generally are looking for justice because often it feels like a really unjust thing. Sometimes it really just is unjust. And we want to fight back. But, but the author of Hebrews reminds us that we are not to be the judge. God's the judge. And God will take care of every injustice in our lives. 
And that means we don't have to do that. We have to let God be the judge. And you see, God is a good judge. You know, one day there's going to be this thing called the final judgment, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. There's going to be this thing called the final judgment. And what's going to happen in the final judgment is God is going to come back and take all the injustice in the world, all the things that are wrong in the world, and he's going to make all of it right again in an instant, right there, the final judgment. Judgment will be passed to make all things right. And we can look forward to that. And God will do a way better job than we can. God is a good judge. And the judgment is coming. And we can rely on that. Now, step four, it's the final step of this practical guide to overcoming the end of the world. Are you ready for this? Look forward to the reward. Listen to Hebrews one more time. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Some of you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what God has promised. Step four is to look forward to the reward. And the reward for overcoming the end of the world is what? It's heaven. It's heaven where all injustice will be dealt with forever, where no one will lose anymore, ever again, no losses, where the world will be the way that God intended it from the beginning. There is no greater incentive to overcome in this life than to remember the the reward of the new heavens and the new earth. And that is our practical guide to overcoming the end of the world. Woo! (laughs) Now, overcoming does not mean winning, but staying faithful until the end of the world. Listen to the rest of the Hebrews passage. There's two, two or three verses left. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We are called by God to overcome by staying faithful no matter what. You see, we may lose today. And many of us are probably on the verge of losing or have lost in the past, or we have friends that have lost. We live in a world where we can lose. But you see, there's a future hope. There's a hope where we may lose today, but we're going to win tomorrow. Where Jesus is going to come back and the judgment's going to happen and he's going to be king of this world. He's going to restore the world to the way it's supposed to be. And guess what? We'll win. You see, that's why we're overcomers. We can lose today. That's fine because there's tomorrow. There's tomorrow. Today may be really difficult for you. Today, you may have lost the battle. Even this morning, you may have walked in this room and said, you know what? I've lost the battle. Today, I mean, in our lives, we're probably going to die. It's a loss. But we're going to be okay. Because we know what the future holds. We are overcomers. It may not look like it today, but it will one day when Jesus comes back. And that's the good news, folks. 
You can lose today and you're going to be okay. You are overcomers in the name of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for the words of Hebrews that, that really points us in a way to the future. That life can be really hard right now and we can lose right now. We can lose everything right now. And we, and we can be willing to do that, God, because we know that you're in control of this world. You have a story you're telling and the conclusion hasn't happened yet. And that conclusion is going to look like all the badness and sin and wrong and losing in this world is done away with forever. And we count on that, God, and we just ask that you give us the faith and trust constantly to be aware of that. We thank you all in Jesus' name. Amen.